Welcome to Embers and Wind. Are you feeling a calling to serve? What if answering this calling unleashes from deep within you leadership potential? I'm your podcast host, Keith Weedman. Blended three decades experience with knowledge from multiple disciplines to unleash hidden potential in others. In this weekly podcast, my distinguished guests and I will share what fuels us and how we serve. You will feel a gentle wind on the embers of service that glow within you. You will receive kindling for your capabilities and knowledge to build skills. You can utilize this gentle wind to ignite the kindling. You will be guided to do this for people you lead and serve. You can apply what you learn with people you love. Get ready to feel the gentle wind. Bob Lewis is a principal of Lewis Training and Consulting, LTC. He believes that adults learn best when engaged with clearly stated objectives, strongly developed content, and activities that relate to the learning of the course. Bob is well known for creating activities that meet the learning styles of all learners. Humor is an important aspect of his classes. Bob knows that when participants laugh and learn, that retention of the learning concepts are high and sustainable. He uses activity-based learning, videos, discussions, and other adult learning principles. Bob has more than 25 years experience in leadership and management, coaching and training, public education, and human resources. He's worked extensively to help organizations develop talent management processes, including behavioral interviewing, change management, coaching and counseling employees, setting up mentoring programs, building leadership assessment tools, identifying developing strengths, developing and implementing leadership programs and certifications, and employee retention and exit strategies. He's developed and delivered these trainings workshops to state and federal government, national and local corporations, and educational entities throughout the United States and UK. He earned his BA in education from the University of Nebraska and his master's in educational management from the University of Houston. The title of this episode is Credible Leaders, High Write and Keep Them. Please join me in welcoming Bob Lewis to Embers and Wind. Welcome, Bob. Thank you for having me, Keith. Glad to be here. Thanks for that introduction. You're welcome. Can you provide us with an overview of, for today's conversation? Absolutely. I fell in love with this kind of whole concept of behavioral interviewing and found out that we as leaders probably weren't asking great questions. And what I want to take you through today is that if leaders really have the right questions that with the right answers to find candidates, then I think there's a, people have a really strong pathway of engaging talent and keeping them. And so I'm going to go over some strategies that I've used. I didn't Google them last night or anything that I've used over the last 25 years that um, I've seen companies retain lots of folks and people fit their job. We talk about fit. So we're going to talk a little bit about that because I think that's an overused term. Kind of a big overview of, you know, hire them, keep them and figure out how to keep them engaged. So why did you choose this topic of all the different topics you can speak on? I think uh, when I first came into training and development, I noticed that leaders were telling me they would hire somebody and then they were wonderful. Everybody loved them. And then six months later, they found out "Eh, they weren't quite in love with that person anymore. It's not that they were a bad person. It's just that what they said during the interview didn't match 
their behaviors. And so I chose this topic because I think leaders, I, at least as when I was a leader in the 80s, I found that I was hiring for skill, but I was terminating for behavior. I, I went to some training at actually Gallup and it really lit me on fire to say, why not hire for behavior? Because you can't teach behavior for the most part in an employee. You can teach skill. And so we know that behavior is a really important part in identifying talent before, before you hire people. So that's kind of why I chose the topic because I know that people struggle with interviewing and it's not an easy task. You brought up Gallup, which makes me think about employee engagement. Absolutely. And you know, they have tons of research around that. There's the engaged and disengaged. When a lot of the workforce is not engaged in what they're doing, just think how much you know money and time the company is wasting. So I, I think that's on the forefront of every leader's mind. And I know you're fully engaged in your work. I can say that I love what I do. I, when I'm driving down I-35, I get that almost giggly sensation that I'm excited for work, even though I work from home now. But um, I found my sweet spot, which I think a lot of us are searching for. How do you recommend leaders measure their effectiveness to hire right and keep them? So I think the, the first part of really determining, a lot of times people will go in, into interviews and they just start asking questions. And what I tell leaders is that they need to look at their top talent. Their top talent actually have the answers to their questions. Um, I can kind of give you an example if you wish. One of, one of the questions I that I, I, I do with leaders is, is one of the questions is communication. Are you a good listener? Well, during an interview, most people will say, oh, yeah, I'm a good listener. And then I say, please describe. My questions are pretty short and sweet because I don't ask a lot of lengthy questions because what are, those are called are probing questions. And I tell leaders that sometimes in an interview, when you ask the question, you actually give the candidate the answer. And so the question is, are you a good listener? Well, there's an answer to that. There's two ways people respond to that. One is they say, oh, yeah, I'm a good listener. I have good eye contact. I take notes and I paraphrase. Now, that's not a bad thing that it's not a predictive behavior of communication, meaning that good listeners don't talk about themselves. When I interview people, about 28% of the population say this, are you a good listener? How can you tell? And I remember this one that young lady, she's in customer service. She says, I can tell in the person's eyes. They seem, they seem to come back to me. They solve their problems. And Keith, if you notice the difference between the two candidates, like when I said, I take notes, I have contact, I talked about myself. The young lady in the customer service realm, who did she talk about? She talked about the other person. And so I remember leaders saying, wow, I'm not asking the right questions. I said, well, you might be asking the right questions, but do you have the right answers? Often I train leaders is take those questions and go and ask your top talent what they would say. Go find a listener in your company and hear what they have to say. Then ask that question to a person who's not a good listener. And most of the times, nine times out of 10, they'll talk about themselves. The good listener will talk about other people. And then when it's all said and done, if we're hiring listeners, it's about other people, not about ourselves. And that's what I have found kind of in the behavioral interviewing, if you were to ask me and people, I would always leave my email and phone number if you want to call me and talk about it further, that I think that if we have the right questions in our company, that we become credible, plus we hire smart candidates. 
kind of a long answer to that. It's, that's kind of the whole big piece of it. Well, you led into my next question, which is there is behavioral interviewing, which you touched on. There's also interviewing for selection and talent. Mm -hmm. So please explain the difference and how you recommend the two of them be used. Um, selection and talent behavioral interviewing are, are fairly the same, I would say. So for example, behavioral interviewing is this. We know that past behavior is the best predictor of future behavior. And so if we're really doing behavioral interviewing, we're really measuring behaviors that people have done in the past. Now, some talent and selection interview are skill-based, meaning that you're just asking somebody to do something. Like example, do an Excel sheet, respond to a scenario based on how they may solve a problem. I often, sometimes I refer to talent, um, talent and selection also as behavioral interviewing. When I worked at Conexa, we often said that it was selection interview and there were behavioral-based questions that were embedded into that scenario. So how do you recommend a, utilize, a leader utilize both in their interview process or do you recommend they utilize both? I, I think so. I think we, you know, behavioral interviewing, I think it's the cat's meow, but it's not the only answer to really find candidates. I think you need to do both. All often when I, call candidates. I actually do behavioral interviewing up front. We talk about this cultural fit that it's important that we find people that are going to fit into the culture. I think that's an overused term that I get is can that person work in that environment? And so I think all up front, if you have a recruiter, I think I encourage people to interview for behavior first, but also meaning in the same interview, they may spend 10 to 15 minutes in a behavioral interviewing and then 10 minutes in a skill interview. Because I think that the skill is kind of like the action of a behavior. Do they have the behavior? And the skill kind of illustrates, can they do that behavior? And so I often frame where the, they, they do a skill-based interview separate from the behavioral interview. Because you're measuring two different things. Behavior is trickier because I tell people that you can have measurable stuff in behavioral just as skill. But you really have to have strong data to support those behaviors. Just like the question of, are you a good listener? How can you tell? The predictive answer is that a good listener talks about other people. A non-predictive answer, which is kind of a term that they said they talk about themselves. In that question, I didn't get a measurement that they have communication skills. But if I give them a predictive answer, meaning that they have the answer to that question, meaning that they talk about other folks, but I'm gonna ask several questions around communication. I'm just not gonna ask one in isolation. I actually usually ask five questions for communication and they have to get three out of the five to say, you know what? I think they're a good communicator. All too often we ask one question and they will go around the table and they say, who did you like? And they buy, they hire that person on who they liked and not the actual data from the interview. It's a very kind of complicated process, but I think um, what I'm telling leaders is that they have to really spend time on writing good questions and not just saying, hey, go write some questions, go interview some people. And then at the end of the day, who did you like? And then six months later, we're left, left empty-handed and disappointed and maybe keeps us up at night. Now, you also have a recommendation about how a leader can transfer behavioral interview data into the first day onboarding strategies. Please tell us more about that. Sure, absolutely. So I came up with this idea that um, we often interview people 
we put the interview data, we file, and we do nothing with it. So years ago, I came up with this idea that we would um, actually use the interview data and share it with the employee day one. And here, and I can, I can send people the template on that. And basically, when I hire folks, I tell them and I write it out in a form and I say, here's why we hired you. So let's say, Keith, I found out that you were highly responsible and a communicator. In my narration of that document, I'm going to tell you, Keith, I hired you because you're going to own your mistakes and you're committed to um, helping others grow and learn. You also have found during your interview that you're going to listen to others, that you're not going to overtalk people. So one part of the document, I said, here's why I hired you and here's what I expect of you. So I actually take all the data I found out and I put it into one document. And when they step aboard day one, within 30 seconds of that employment, they get that document. I have a heartfelt story about that. I have an individual when I was managing, I gave her that day one. And it's like her breath was taken away. She goes, it's the first time anybody told me what they, why they hired me and what they expected me. Well, we actually took that document. The team signed it. We framed it, put it on her desk. She's retired now. And she goes, I still remember why I was hired and my expectations. And so what I really charge leaders with, I, what I've done with helping organizations is that take that data, share what you found out about them. Selfishly, we all love to find out about ourselves. And, you know, if we were to boil it down, we kind of like to be, talk about ourselves <laughs> as human beings. I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of a piece of the puzzle. But I think because employees make opinions of the company within 30 seconds to 50 seconds when they onboard, why not share why you hired me? It's, I think it's a simple strategy. And employees, and my employees, they had it proudly on their desk. If they do misstep later, it's a way to have a conversation and say, you remember when I hired you? Um, something's going on. Talk to me about that. Because it, it, it goes back to the original first day expectation why I hired them. Um, be glad to share that. I found that tool real easy and um, kind of like a, a lifesaver when it came to employee retention. And just to clarify, Bob, if somebody is listening to this conversation and wants to learn more, you'd be happy to share that with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Thank you for clarifying that. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. How do they utilize this behavioral data from the interview after the first day of onboarding? What's interesting is that when I found out their strengths and gaps during the interview, I used it as coaching pieces. And I'm a big advocate of strength finders. I've used it with all my employees. So if anybody hasn't taken that assessment, it's a really cool assessment because um, most of us get better in our strengths. If we try to fix our gap, our potential is this much. But if we strengthen our strength, our potential is this much, which is which I have found. What I found with that data in the interview is I found out where, what they were really good at and maybe perhaps a gap that would cause some problems. But I made them aware of it day one saying, hey, I know that communication is a little bit of a struggle, so we're going to work through that. So when it came to performance time, taking that interview data of strengths is I tied it into things such as, you know, what we're measured on is team playing, um, communication, ethics, all those strategies that were measured on that I went back and used that data again from day one. And we set goals based on day one of hire. What do they want to strengthen? And what gaps do they want to manage? And it became almost like a live document for them. I didn't have, 
they almost would seek me as a boss to say, hey, this is what I need to work on instead of me as the boss trying to do that. And so what I had found through day one of engagement of their strengths and weaknesses, that they owned it and they started taking accountability for their own actions. This bottom line keep, you know, it's not my performance, it's their performance. I feel like I'm more of kind of a guide facilitator so they can be successful. But if they're in charge, I find that um, they're more than likely to stay if they're in charge of their performance. Now, Bob, you happen to be the guest today. So I'm really interested in your strengths. What can you tell me about your strengths? Mm. Sure, absolutely. Gosh, I'm, no, I'm just kidding. So a couple of my strengths um, based on strength finders, which I, there's my top five are strategic, maximizer, futuristic, woo, and communication. <clears throat> and woo stands winning others over. But the one piece that I want to talk about is I'm very strategic and that I always have kind of plan A, B, C, D. Coupled with the ability of futurism, which is one of my strengths also, is that I can kind of anticipate consequences that are going to happen. So sometimes somebody may mention something, and I know I can be annoying sometimes with this, but I'm not saying, have you ever thought about these three other things that may be affected by your decision? And I have to be careful because I don't want to go into solving their problem. I want to be more of like just helping understand that there may be some things. So I think I'm pretty good at anticipating consequences which mm -hmm. as, as a child, I asked too many questions. So I got in trouble sometimes and said to the <laughs> principal because my parents said, you asked too many questions. And so today it works for me. <laughs> but back then, probably it was not a favorite. <laughs> yeah. You use something called a stay interview. Please tell us what a stay interview is. Yeah, absolutely. About 10 years ago, I, 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 I really, I use the word love and I mean it in the work environment is that I found out we were doing exit interviews, but they were too late. And so with stay interviews, it's, it's really the concept behind that is to really find out why people are staying instead of leaving. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things, you know, as I remember, as I look back at a couple of the questions that I used to ask in a stay interview, um, I would ask people, I wouldn't ask them why they're staying, but I would say, you know, what are you learning? What's keeping you here in this organization? As a manager, what can I do to help you to continue to learn? And I think the art of asking questions is whether they're problem-based or solution-based, you want to stay in solution-based. So every, every um, six months, I would ask employees why they were staying. Not exactly the question of why they're staying, but I would ask them questions of what's keeping them there. You know, what are they learning? I worked with an organization, and they found out that they're but it was nurses and they found they were, they were leaving. And so they pushed money on them at the exit interview. I had them do stay interviews. And then I asked, and we also asked, why would they leave? And they said they wouldn't leave because of money. And what they found is that nurses were leaving because they were no longer involved in the decision-making of customer care. So over a year journey, we worked on stay interviews and they were at 35% of leaving, nurses leaving, and they went down to seven, just because they shifted to find out. And then what they did was they involved the nurses in customer care. Sure, money was part of it, but they were chasing a strategy that wasn't true. The true thing about nurses was they really wanted to be involved in the customer care. So I have found that 
if I want to keep my top talent and I need to be really asking great questions on why they're staying. Do you recommend that a leader just utilize stay interviews for the top talent? No, um, that's a great question, Keith. I, I think it's with all employees too. You know, people that are just staying there and causing misery for everybody. <laughs> and we've had employees where they keep them because sometimes the squeaky wheel gets the oil. That I think sometimes it's important to find out why some of our bottom performers are staying too and why they haven't been terminated. I think it gives us some strong strategies that eventually we do have to either coach people out or there has to you know, I have terminated people because they are not the right fit. I think you need to do it with all. But I think what scares me the most is that I'm not scared that the bottom talent will leave. I'm scared the top talent will. And sure. so I put my energy there. That makes sense. Now, with the stay interview, you recommend that they start when? So I have found typically I've done it at the sixth month piece mm -hmm. because um, after that, if I wait too much longer, and I don't think it hurts you. I don't think there's a magical formula. I mean, there's, there's, there's 30, 60, 90, you know, 120 kind of things that you, if you look at, look at all the books, that's when they suggest you do that. Mm -hmm. I think each employee is a little different. I think some employees are happy in that you might wait that six months. Maybe you're noticing, I think a good leader is intuitive and in saying, you know, I might need to do this at 30 days because mm -hmm. I'm seeing some employee stuff go on. So I think I need to do it before. So I believe, Things is a leader needs to think that each person's different and that you have to approach each person differently, mm -hmm. not by, no, not with policies, but I think a good leader knows that each person works differently and that you flex your style based on that too. So I think, you know, when you see, when the time is right, you seize it. Now, when you talk about a leader keeping their sensory acuity up, I think you're also alluding to the power of dialogue. Tell us about the power of dialogue. Dialogue is important. And conversations are important. I, you know, I, I asked people, um, I asked this one lady one time, I said, when's the last time you can, have you ever been recognized too much? She goes, no. <laughs> I said, well, nobody can be recognized too much. So I think the power of dialogue is that what I usually did, I'll just give you an example of my employees, is that every two weeks we had 15 minute conversations based on their performance. How were they doing with their performance? And the power of dialogue is not so much me talking. It goes back to that question, are you the listener? Is the power of dialogue, is the employee talking and you listening and you asking questions? To me, that feedback loop is real critical that employees ultimately, one, get recognition because I don't think too, too many people can get enough recognition, but it has to be specific and it's different from all over the board. Some people don't like public recognition. Some people love it private. I think it, you have to be really aware and asking questions. And I always ask my question to the employees, how do you like to, how do you like to have feedback and how do you like to be recognized? Whew, bang, bang. Man, do you notice people, what I noticed at the end is that they all want it differently. And then as a leader, what I had to do is I know that one person liked it privately. She said, please do not recognize me in front of others. And I, she goes, I said, why? And she goes, I just, it's embarrassing. I hate it. I'd rather have a one-to-one -one than that, but I do not. So, so I think as a leader, you found a way to honor that person in feedback. And that feedback is really different. And so I know some people saying, I just like to be left alone. 
I'll come to you. And if I'm not performing, come talk to me. But they're telling me a message. I'm autonomous and I like to be left alone. I'll do my work. My leader side went, oh, but I want to give you praise. No, Bob. You did, they just told you something. You asked them a question. <laughs> Please adhere to it. And so, you know, I think, I think feedback has to be based on what the person needs, but I think you have to be consistent. It's like, for me, what I used to do is I used to put people on my calendar and I was going to watch for their achievements during the week. Mm-hmm. I remember one telling one employee, I said, you know, I was watching you. I'm not stalking you. <laughs> I was watching you. I'd like to give you some feedback of some cool things I saw. And that person goes, really? It just, you know, they sit up a little bit and they smile. And um, yeah, so I remember giving feedback and they said, wow, nobody's ever recognized me for that. I know I do that. And I said, I hope you sometimes tell me about that when you do that, because it's your performance, you know? And I, so I think it's real powerful. I mean, that's how I've done feedback. I mean, a lot of people will say, oh, here's the model. I think it's finding out about the strengths of the person and having conversations uh-huh. around. I don't think it's like a step early in training. I did these four-step models and I thought, uh-huh. wow. And after a while, I thought there was no impact. Uh-huh. The conversation was dull, uh-huh. flat, check box, check, check. Okay, we're done. Next year, I'll talk to you again. Hope it's good for you. So you're really talking about learning styles. Tell us about learning styles. I'm a big neurolinguistic communication person, meaning that it measures how we, one part of it is how we measure, measure how we receive information. And I think as a leader, we have to pay attention to it. So there's auditory, hearing, visual, seeing, and then this word kinesthetic, meaning that sometimes people, I'm kinesthetic. I learn by movement. So I have to stand up and I'm actually going to have to walk through what you talk about. You know, there's all these different learning styles, but I found most success is that because learning styles is really based in the the house of communications that Mm -hmm. when you approach people, I know that if I approach them and I give them a piece of paper and I say, here, look at this. And I point to it. They're going to go, okay, I can remember that. I'm very visual. So I actually need to grab the paper from you. I need to stand up, walk around and walk through it and talk through it. And I have a better chance of retaining information because learning styles, you know, there's a lot of theory around that. But if I were to boil it down, is that if I, as a leader, know how people like to receive information, that if I go into Keith's office and he's not a mover and he's not kinesthetic, then I might just come and talk to you. In fact, some people are very auditory where they don't want to see it. I may just say, hey, can we have this conversation? Because a person who's auditory may go down and write their own visual piece because they don't want you to give. That's a distraction to them. So to me, that's what I actually teach a class on it is that how teaching, how to approach people based on their communication style, which is how they learn. And there's a whole, there's a whole other piece around that with those time sake. We probably could spend an hour on that, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of been my strategy. And it kind of goes back to the feedback piece you talked about, Keith, mm-hmm. is that feedback can be really rich if it's based on how that person likes to receive information. Thank you for that. I'll bet you have another story you can share about feedback. I remember when I was um, giving feedback to an individual early on, and I was actually a principal at the time. And I remember um, talking about to employ all the good things they were doing. And um, I shared with her all the documents. And then at the end of the, end of the thing, I said, do you have any questions? And she said, 
well, seems like you talked this whole conversation and I didn't get to have any um, conversation with you. So my question is maybe my statement would be next time, maybe during our feedback session that you talk less, and you allow me to talk. So that was all, I mean, that's kind of, you know, I've had some really successful ones, but that, that was a successful one too, because it reminded me that in feedback, it's not about me. <laughs> it's about them. And so I think the power of dialogue is this as a manager, they have to shut down the computer, shut down any maybe fight they had with somebody and saying, okay, it's about that employee. Let them talk. Maybe you just ask some good questions and that'll be good feedback. You could say that she taught you through her feedback. Yeah, she taught me many things. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. That's a little bit of telling on myself early in my career, but I'm, I'm glad it happened. Instead of, you know, I could have been really upset about it and like, what yeah. you know, and, and I didn't, thank goodness. Yeah. Something I noticed on your website is you talk about virtual leadership. Mm -hmm. And in this pandemic, virtual leadership has become a much more important skill. Tell us about virtual leadership. So just kind of a preface for that. I think if a person who isn't a strong leader is, is probably going to struggle with it anyway, um, maybe a person who shouldn't be a leader, but people who are really good leaders, I, I think that I have found since I've been teaching a lot of classes on Zoom and I teach virtual leadership is that, that it's a time for leaders to really get to know their employees better. It's also those one-on-ones are very critical um, to do it, even during Zoom, I find that asking a lot of touch questions, and I go back to the visual auditory. So I had a manager saying to me during um, one of the virtual times, he said, Bob, you know, I know that this is tough for you, but I want you to walk me through what this document says. Walk through is a key word because he knew my style. It's, it's, it's such a right time to get our, you know, our employees even more. And that I know we're busy and everything, but it's easy to hide. And I, what I suggest to virtual leaders is get them involved in learning. You as a leader with your employee, learn with them. Hey, I'm going to jump on a podcast tomorrow. Would you join me? And then what happens is that leader can have a conversation with that employee. So the two pieces I think in virtual is, that I have found to be very successful is keep connected with that employee, which is not a new concept but also take the time to be with them to learn together and just not send them, but you go with, that's a preposition, you go with them to learn. And I found that those are helping employees stay too, because it says my boss cares about me and cares about what I'm learning. Bob, how can someone who's enjoying this conversation, how can they connect with you? They can connect with me on LinkedIn, look under Bob Lewis or LTC training. Also email me, boblewistraining at gmail.com. That's pretty easy, Bob Lewis Training. Call me, 512-740-0889. Um, if you're interested in the topics and just like some ways to get jump started, because I think that's what it's like anything. You start a new craft, mm -hmm. is try a couple things. Don't, don't jump into, just try Tuesday interview questions. Ask one behavioral interviewing question on your next interview. Call me and say, hey, this is what I found. <laughs> Very cool. And I think then people say, oh, I want to do more. So Dad, I think a lot of this, I gave you a lot of stuff. Don't bite off more than you can chew, as we say in Texas. 
or anywhere else, I guess. And so those are, there's a couple of ways to do that. I, I haven't gone into the other any social medias. I don't Twitter. I don't, I don't TikTok. <laughs> I suppose I should, but <laughs> I do a lot of LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is a good way to guide message. I, one of my strengths is I'm an uh, activator and achiever. I'll respond pretty quickly. I, my mama told me to always be on time and, and smell good. So I'll try to be on time then. And that there's a chance that there's somebody listening and you know who you are and you want to learn more from Bob. How can someone learn more from you? I think the art of asking questions, because it's like, I know a lot of this stuff, but I love when people ask me some really unique and strange questions, because then I think it, I think a lot of us have a question. And if we use that question to frame learning, I think that's how I can be helpful. I mean, you can email me too and say, hey, do you have any documents on this? You know, I can send so many, but I can I can send a few too and get you jump started. Text me or chat with me too. I, I, I like to see um, people learn new things. You know, the cool thing is too, is yeah. that they learn it, but also that it works. So I'd like to see, does it work? And sometimes things don't work, right? But we just have to give it. You know, I've, I've spent, you know, since 1988 developing behavioral questions. I've had thousands of questions that I've written that predict people's behaviors. And so um, I love sharing that journey, too. Well, Bob, thank you so much for being a guest on Embers and Wind. I've enjoyed thank this you. conversation and I enjoy being connected to you. And perhaps yeah. I can join the people who learn more from you, too. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Embers and Wind. We look forward to seeing you next week. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Embers and Wind. If you enjoyed today, please come back next week. Please also share this episode with a friend. If you've not already subscribed to Embers and Wind, rated this podcast, and written a review, please do this now. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at embersandwind.net. Thank you again for joining us.